The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Good afternoon. Bear down, baby. Yes, sir. Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Hawn. There has been a lot in what promises to be a busy offseason, whether it's speculation over the number one draft pick and Justin Fields being traded or the execution of the closing on the land in Arlington Heights. And Dan Weeder. The 2023 Bears are made for the offseason. They are a dream in terms of content, in terms of debates, in terms of talking points, in terms of developments. We're just getting started. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast. I'm David Hoff from the Mullen Haw Show, 167 in the score. Dan Weeders from the Chicago Tribune covers the Bears. And OTA week got uh, going again this week. And Dan, I think the big story coming out of OTAs for the second week in a row, there's some focus and consternation about who isn't there. <laughs> Jalen Johnson and Nate Davis and certainly Darnell Mooney and Eddie Jackson nursing injuries. But there are... Uh, there's a lot of explanation going on. We'll get to what Jalen Johnson had to say. But first of all, what was the biggest takeaway this week from your time at Howell Hall, the, the brief but uh, interesting access period? Yeah, I think we'll get into some of this as the episode goes along. But you're just um, kind of understanding that in the developmental stages of this football team, that there are a lot of players in the developmental stages that are trying to find those developmental breakthroughs. We had a chance to hear from Kyler Gordon on Wednesday. We'll talk about that later in the show. I had a one-on-one with Travis Gibson for something I'm writing early next week. That's another player whose name we haven't talked a lot about, but who is sitting on a golden opportunity 
to kind of write the story of his future. Um, and so when you look up and down the roster to me, David, it's just acknowledging and noticing all the players that are sort of on that, on that, um, precipice right of either breaking through or not and it's really going to determine a lot about how quickly this rebuild gets off the ground uh the number of guys that can can make those breakthroughs is going to be important those are just two of them but they're all over the depth chart on both sides of the ball all right let's get right into the two guys who are commanding the most attention and their absence whether it's significant or not and look we understand it's the first of June, and it's a long time before training camp, and certainly it's not even mandatory. Voluntary means something. But Jalen Johnson and Nate Davis for the second week in a row were not there. I personally think, Dan, that the Jalen Johnson situation bears monitoring closer and maybe a, a sign of something deeper potentially than Nate Davis. I don't know what the Nate Davis absence implies but i don't think you sign a 30 million dollar contract commit to a team and then you flake out on them because you're going to hold out a training camp i don't think that's a possibility with him based on <laughs> intel in, in tennessee the people that i've talked to who knew him while he was a titan that would be out of character for him jalen johnson i don't want to say or question his character but i do think we have to remember he is in the midst of a contract negotiation and to me Everything that he says, everything that he does or doesn't do is related to that contract negotiation. And I think that because of that and because of the Bears' recent history and contract extensions with key prime, uh, you know, premier defensive players not going well, that's why I think it's newsworthy at this point in time. I think it's okay for you to raise the question, you know, and, and try to figure out what is behind this. But then you hear from Jalen in his own voice on ESPN on Thursday morning, talking with Keyshawn, Jay and, and Max and, and sort of explaining his absence in a way that um, debunks some of the speculation that we've been having about his contract potential discontent or whatever it may be. The word from Jalen himself is that he will be back at the third week of organized team activities next week, back on the practice field the next time that the curtain lifts for the media next Wednesday, uh, back for the mandatory mini camp the week following that. And hopefully this is all just a, a small little flare up in the spring that is behind us by the middle of the summer. Uh, Jalen's own explanation, David, on, on that ESPN program on Thursday morning was that he's been back home in Fresno, California, away from the offseason program because he wants to spend more time with his young daughter as a young dad. He wants to be a family man and be there for his daughter more often in the off season than he can be during the regular season. And that he's working on some, some charitable work as well. You can take that explanation however you want. And I'm sure we will get into the discussion here, but he also sort of downplayed any thought and dismissed any notion that any of this is contract related saying winning takes care of paychecks. And if I can focus on winning and creating sort of the production that the, the bears want from me, then the paycheck will take care of itself. So at this point, as we sit here on, on June 1st, I do not see this being something that becomes a potential contract uh, standoff going into training camp at any time during tra training camp. I think Jalen Johnson will be on the practice field every single practice that is there to be had uh, during training camp as long as he's healthy and that will continue to monitor the extension talks. But I don't think that this is going to escalate to the situation that uh, it is rightfully fair to ask whether it may escalate into. Good. Everybody hopes you're right. Let me read his uh, comments and statement, part of his statement to ESPN Radio, um, ESPN Television as well. 
uh, before I get to some thoughts on what you just said. This is Jalen Johnson on Thursday morning, June 1st. I'm going to be there for sure next week. I have a lot of things going on off the field. I have my daughter back home with me in Fresno, California, where I'm from, and she resides, and I don't get a lot of time back home during the season. So for me, the offseason is time spent with her to make up that family time, and I'm a big family guy for sure. Being a young dad, I want to be present in my daughter's life for sure, and I take a lot of pride in that. Also, have a lot of things going on off the field. Last year, I was the Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee for the Bears, so I continue to live that. That's who I am. I have a lot of events I'm doing in my community back here in Fresno, being part of the church and donating, trying to create fundraising for my nonprofit, different things to tend to with different businesses here in Fresno. Jalen Johnson to ESPN Thursday morning. Okay, so the reason I think that there are people like me and maybe not you who, who wonder where this is headed still is because the tone that the Bears have set in the way that they have addressed the question of his absence. That's this very, isn't, very fair. This isn't something that they have explained or provided clarity. And you know what? Nothing to see here, guys. Jalen's spending some time with his family. He has our blessing, and this is what he wants to do. We understand. Instead, we have – no comment from the off defensive coordinator on Wednesday. We have cryptic comments last week from the head coach. No more clarity yesterday from the head coach. So I think that the Bears, if there is any overreaction that people want to point to by people in the media or fans because of what they you know, didn't get done with Roquan Smith and because of what they went through in season one with Jalen Johnson a year ago at this time, it's partly because of the tone that they have set or what they refuse to provide in the way of clarity. On this, you and I are on the identical page because I don't know why the messaging of this has had to be so clunky and so clumsy. I don't know whether there is motive behind it from Matt Eberflus and Alan Williams and anyone else in, inside the building, but it certainly um, speaks of a, a concerted effort to not provide clarity on those things that you just talked about. Matty Berflus had multiple opportunities last week and this week to say, hey, this is fine. You know, it's all voluntary. Jalen's made a decision that, that's best for him and his family, and, and we understand it. Alan Williams, when asked, is Jalen going to be practicing today, said no comment, despite the idea that the media was going to be out on that very practice field seeing with their own eyes in 40 minutes that he was not going to be practicing. Just say he's not going to be out there today. He's not present. You know, we talked about it last week. He's not here and move on. And so it's always hard for me to interpret these kinds of things, David, because you know how consistently clunky the messaging can be inside that building and how unnecessarily complicated things can get inside that building. And so it leads to these things where you start to kind of um, see smoke or smell smoke that may or may not be there. And it's interesting because now I think we have to follow up next week with Matt Eberflus and saying, okay, well, Jalen has now explained his rationale for missing big chunks of the offseason program, why did you not allow us to understand what his reasoning was, given that you most likely knew what it was? And 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 and, and are you okay with it? You know, like the, I think that's the, the biggest question is, are you okay with it? And if not, how do you get on the same page with a guy that is supposed to be one of your cornerstone starters at a time when everything that you're propping up for your football team is about culture and try hard and effort and all in and belief and buy-in and all those things. It, it, it is very awkward. And I don't know whether it's awkward by design or awkward because awkwardness is what happens. 
I'll tell you why I think it's awkward. And you you better ask that question next week. And I think that everyone has a right to, to ask it and to hear the answer. But let me interpret what we can and what I think the interpretation is. They're not on board with this explanation. Because as much as we can appreciate the NFL professional athletes need to get away from the grind and stay out of the building, and everyone understands that because everyone who has a job and a career for a living <laughs> understands the value of getting away. Yeah. And we can all respect somebody who puts his family first. We can all put respect people that put uh, spend time in church and donating to the community and all the things that Jalen Johnson went to great lengths to explain he was doing. So are 84 other guys in the house hall or however many people are at OTAs this week have the same obligations have the same pressures, have the same desires to want to spend time with their family. And to me, the reason it's gotten awkward, if you want to use that word, is because you're a football coach at the NFL level and you understand that people have a lot to balance. And we understand that the Players Association is mandated these are voluntary activities. You know what coaches want? They want volunteers, not hostages. That's a Mike Tomlin line. Every coach borrows it and uses it and repeats it. I don't think Matt Eberflus or Alan Williams, I'm just inferring by the tone and what they haven't told us, care how many responsibilities their players have. They have plenty of time in the offseason to address them. You have an obligation and maybe a responsibility if you're a leader of this team and if you want to be, to set an example. And you can't set an example unless you're here. That's all fair. I mean, I'm not going to push back hard on, on any of that. And I think that's something that, again, for a team that is, is pushing um, a, a certain sort of buy-in and determination and belief that, that you have to establish that one to 90, not just, you know, one through 22 and then 25 through 34. And then at various pockets of the roster, it's got to be one to 90 and you've got to roll with it. Um, you know, Alan Williams was also very praiseful of who Jalen Johnson is as a football player, went out of his way to talk about how smart he was and, and his athleticism and his good feet and how he sees the big picture and and how that really impressed him in, in their one season working together. And so if, if Jalen Johnson returns next week, practices for the rest of the offseason, comes back at training camp, becomes a productive player, all of this will be rearview mirror stuff that we look back on and go, OK, it was, you know, much ado about nothing. Um, but it is fair right now to 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 question it all. And it's, it, it's fair to question both sides. I hope that Jalen takes the podium next week when he's back and, and gives us a little more opportunity to, to, to probe his mindset and ask him why, um, you know, he is exempt from doing the things, as you mentioned, that 80 plus other guys are doing. I hope Matt Eberflus gives us the opportunity to, to press him and saying, now that we know Jalen's explanation for why he's not here, how do you respond to that? Knowing that you have 90 guys that you have to set, a standard for it's all about learning about wh where the the boundaries and the borders and the the standards are here. I mean, I'll, I'll go back to 2014 and <laughs> Lance Briggs missed a, a Labor Day practice for a quote unquote personal reason, and the personal reason was opening a barbecue uh, <laughs> restaurant not too far from where Jalen Johnson is right now in California. Uh, and obviously, that was the uh, the first sign of uh, a lack of buy-in, and really, that was uh, you know veteran defiance of a, a of a coach that. Uh, was on thin ice that we didn't really know how thin it was at the time. Um, but look, like, so all those things come into to, to what are your standards, who's adhering to them, and how do you uphold them on a daily basis? Because as coaches, you can, you know, yes, as fans and media say occasionally, these don't matter. This doesn't matter. As coaches, everything matters. 
every day, every practice, every opportunity to get better matters. That's how winning organizations are built. That's how standards are set. And that's how championships are won. Okay, so we'll move on because I think the Jalen Johnson thing will take care of itself. And maybe it will be in the rearview mirror unless you have anything else to add. No, I, I would just say that John Hoke, who you know very well, uh, volunteered after practice on Wednesday that, that Jalen Johnson has participated in some of the meetings via Zoom, which was a detail that we hadn't had previously. And you go, okay, well, so he's not completely detached and disengaged. And how come no one else in the building brought that up at a time where, where this was mushrooming in, into something that more than it needed to mushroom into? I just don't understand some of that sometimes where it's just kind of mixed messaging even within the coaching staff and within the building on how much they want to have a guy's back and how much they want to, um, you know, either – quell the situation or let it burn and and this is certainly one of those situations where you there's more head scratching being done than probably needs to be done so as coaches say focusing on the players who were there i think uh alan williams was able to okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road with available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. get to the podium and talk about Kyler Gordon. Kyler Gordon is, I felt like... Uh, Somebody who had a pretty up and down rookie year, Dan, no somebody who showed a lot of promise, but also showed a lot of room to grow with some, you know, big mistakes, um, some things that rookies are going to go through. I find it interesting that they're willing to, I don't want to say sacrifice, but be, I think take advantage a little bit of his athleticism and versatility by taking him from the outside and moving him to the nickel spot. I know it's a 12th, 12th starter role, but the fact that he – you know, maybe, not I don't say push back, but even talked about how he's more comfortable on the outside, but he's willing to play nickel, shows you what kind of teammate he is. But with Alan Williams talking about um, Kyler Gordon, what stood out to you about the way he described his rookie year and what he is expected to be doing this season? Yeah, so Kyler Gordon is one of the fascinating characters in this rebuild because he is the headliner of Ryan Poles' first draft class in 2022. And he's going to have to emerge into uh, one of these, you know, long-term starters, second contract guys that you're getting something out of every single week um, so that you can continue on the pace of, of, of ascension that you want to continue down. Matt Eberflus was very clear a year ago at this time that, that the, the desire to play rookies was with a long view with an understanding that they were going to experience some some roller coaster moments, some ups and downs, some bumps in the road that were going to test them mentally, that were going to test their resilience and their fortitude. And then ultimately in the long haul, it was going to be beneficial because they would get through some of those bumps in the road before it was time for the Bears to be in, in, in win now mode, right? Which hopefully we're progressing towards. So ideally, the experiences that Kyler Gordon went through as a rookie are positioning him to have a much more comfortable and calm second season in this defense 
at a position now inside that is very demanding in that nickel role with with two guys and Jalen Johnson and Tyreek Stevenson likely on the outside um, that will allow him to specialize in this in this slot corner role. The most interesting thing for me, and we'll hear from Alan Williams here in a second, was just the idea that year two provides relaxation, you know, and that relaxation should provide um, production and and just a little bit more confidence and certitude there in the defense. This is how Alan Williams kind of described what Kyler Gordon is uh, doing and where he's at in in the, the second season of his development. Well, it is a product of not being a rookie. It's just relaxing. Last year, everything was just um, in a frenzy uh, because he wants to please, he wants to do, he wants to be so good. So it's just all the all the time. And now he's okay. He's relaxing. He's playing within himself. He's got his feet up underneath him. He's calling. He's communicating more than he did. He already communicated before, but now it's more. So you can see when a guy can relax and go out there, and, and we call it the RPMs. That is, RPMs are not always in the red all the time. So then if they're not in the red all the time, that he is mentally alert but he's physically relaxed in how he's playing. Now, that doesn't mean that he's not going fast and he's not hustling and running to the ball. It just means that his RPMs aren't super high. Uh, so that, that would be the biggest difference. I love that analogy. You? Yeah, I mean, calibrating a lot of things, it's, it's managing anxiety, right, and, and without sacrificing or abandoning that natural athleticism. That's a, that's a difficult balance to strike for a lot of guys. I think you saw that especially cornerbacks, because as gifted athletically as you need to be, as explosive as you need to be, there still has to be a timing mechanism. There's got to be an internal clock. Uh, instincts have to play a big role. And I think those are all things that, that I, can, I think fall into the category when he's talking about RPMs and just knowing how to time things so everything is in sync. And learning how to calibrate your eagerness, you know, your eagerness yeah. to prove yourself, your eagerness to make plays and just just knowing that, OK, it's OK to take that deep breath to calm down a little bit and then let everything around you kind of slow down to a pace that that then you can operate at maximum efficiency. So you hear that from Alan Williams. And then after practice, you get a chance to talk to Kyler Gordon and even his presence at the dais, David, for me was notable because he did seem more relaxed there as well. Just a guy that, you know, we've all been there. Your second year in the job, you just, you kind of you have your feet on the ground. You just feel a little steadier. And so Kyler, I think, has a, a mature way of understanding what happened to him last year, what needs to happen for him this year. Um, and he was kind of asked to, to, to describe uh, where he's at in that regard mentally. And, and, he, and here's some of what he said. Like one important thing was really just like last year for me, I, I felt like it started becoming easier when I, I read my, my my keys right and uh, and saw the things I was supposed to see and uh, just kind of like uh, brought my vision in and uh, focused on what I was supposed to see and not trying to see everything. I feel like once I did that and I was able to like really read what I, I was supposed to read and not worried about all this other stuff. But not that I'm not supposed to like see the formation and the splits and stuff like that. But when I focused on what I was supposed to see, I just felt like I got to play faster. And so that's definitely something that allows me to go. See, that's important, as important as anything that we heard from about Kyler Gordon from Alan Williams or whoever, John Hoke. Kyler Gordon explaining what he's essentially saying is, is he's going to be playing with more confidence and authority and the things that you need to play cornerback and recover from getting beaten. When you're talking about getting back up after you get knocked down or we saw him lose guys in coverage and at, at that point sometimes in games I wondered where his head would go and how often it would be to how easy it would be to 
lose confidence that you can't do as a corner. So you're right. Just his overall demeanor seems like he's more in a more mature place as a professional. And I'm sure that the comfort, uh, the comfort level has increased a lot and that's difficult to quantify. He's still somebody that I think did not take a step back next year, but I think the ability for him to take a step forward here is there just because he's more, he's more seasoned, as a football yeah. player. Yeah, I play a golf, a lot of golf, as you know, and, it, you know, it's like just don't have more than two swing thoughts. You know, once you start having five or six swing thoughts, you're all over the place and it's frenzied and it's chaotic and the ball doesn't go where you want it to go. It's kind of what I heard in Kyler's voice there describing, like, let me just find the, the couple things that I need to see with my eyes here, react that way and just find the the, the tempo and the, the rhythm of the game that way. And then I'll ease in and be able to identify all these other things a little bit more naturally. I, again, this is a, a player that, that they – invested a lot in you remember the conversation on draft night in 2022 when it was okay they needed receivers and they chose this guy because he was the best player on their board and they believe that he can become an impact starter in this league for a long time well now it's go time you know for players like this and it's it's time to prove that whatever role they give you you can master that role and you can be what they you envision what they envision you to be um that's going to be absolutely paramount for every phase of this climb that the bears are trying to make. Uh, Kyler certainly seems ready for it. Now I will say this, that every conversation we have in April and May and June, uh, I reserve the right to change it in August when we start seeing a lot more uh, action and intensity and everything else in training camp. And as we get close to the regular season, um, all the good vibes then start to become something a little different, right? That goes without saying, I mean, there's always the right to change your mind. I mean, this is a podcast. It's not, a court of law. Well, I just, I just, I just mean in this. I mean, because I know you heard this also from Cody Whitehair yesterday, who said there's just a different feel in the building, right? And I turned, I turned to Mark, Mark Potash immediately after Cody got up, and I said, 11 years running, there's a different feeling in the building on June, on June 1st or May 31st, as, as the case was yesterday. Every year we hear that same bit, and you're like, okay. Many, many, many times this different vibe and different feeling in the building didn't that. amount to anything. I, I get that. There, there, there is that, 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 that tendency for players to always feel like it's a different vibe. Now is the time, yeah. And I'm in the best shape of my life. You know, yeah, and, kind of and, and we're hanging out together on and off yeah. the field. You know, we're going yeah, to the We really have together. fun when we're drinking beer on a Thursday night. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. You should see us in sync there at the bar. Added uh, 15 pounds of muscle to my frame, you know. Before we get on to Richard Hightower's comments, uh, the special teams coordinator, I, I want to ask you a big-picture question about, about Kyler Gordon. You, it, not necessary to answer now, but it's something I'm thinking about. And, and it's not just because – Jalen Johnson isn't there, and it's easy to pick on him. But I do wonder this. Do you think as the Bears look at those two guys specifically, they're starting corners, if you will, their best two corners, whose ceiling do you think they consider higher? Kyler Gordon, the guy they drafted, or Jalen Johnson, really the more proven veteran they inherited? Because I think you get in a pretty good debate. You could use some pretty good tape examples and look at the two right now. Certainly Jalen Johnson is more proven. But I don't know if in three years you're going to look at both guys and think that, hmm, Kyler Gordon has a lot of potential, and I think that's what I'm getting at. Well, when I came back in the league in 2011, I was around one of the best nickel corners to ever play, and that's Antoine Winfield. And so that for me, that's the standard of a guy who just understood – 
every play and what he was responsible for and how to see it. And so that's kind of your best case scenario for Kyler Gordon is that he continues to mature and evolve and develop into that kind of guy. You know, a guy can be a, a weapon for you as a blitzer, can make tackles, who can understand where he's supposed to be in coverage and do all the things that that position um, requires of you. Now, look, they gave Jalen Johnson a lot of trust in 2022. They let him follow some top flight receivers on occasion, including A.J. Brown in the well-documented game where he gave up a ton of yards, but everyone felt really good about the the yards he didn't give up. You know, and so it was kind of that mixed bag with Jalen Johnson where they were comfortable saying, go shadow him. Take him the whole game. And then the the numbers kind of threw you off a little bit. And then the tape told you a little something different. And it was a little confusing. But I think they have great, great confidence and optimism in who Jalen can be. It's just all about kind of the consistency component and just getting that production up a little bit. You know, you have to be able to take the ball away in this defense to become a star, to become a standout, you know. And so that's the next step for Jalen Johnson. Um, If they get that right. At those, with those two guys, and then obviously Tyreek Stevenson, a rookie who physically looks the part every time you watch him practice. You're like, okay, I get it, right? I understand the that 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 the traits, the length, the speed, the explosion, all that stuff is right there for you. If they can get those three guys playing um, close to their potential for this upcoming season, man, it's going to be a, a much better looking defense. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so Alan Williams wasn't the only coordinator to speak at House Hall on Wednesday. Richard Hightower, the special teams coordinator, <laughs> did, and he addressed the kickoff conundrum, correct? Yeah, new kickoff rule, obviously approved by the owners at the league meetings in Minneapolis last month. And now any ball on a kickoff that is fair caught between the 25-yard line and the goal line comes out to the 25 for a touchback. Again, we've talked about this being a a rule that has been in place in the NCAA for several years now, and it's still jarring when a guy makes that fair catch symbol at the uh, signal at the three, and then they get the ball out at the 25. This now opens the door for the NFL to try to figure out team by team how they want to handle this. What is going to be your approach on kickoffs? Are you just going to boom them through the end zone? Are you going to try to squib stuff to force a return? How are you going to compensate and play that chess game with a rule that, by the way, is in here. It's on a one-year trial basis. So the league wants to see this for one year and then come back and revisit it. They are mainly making this move in the interest of cutting down on the high-speed collisions on kickoffs and trying to get concussion rates down which they said started to rise again as teams sort of floated balls, you know, out to the three yard line and forced returns. Um, but Richard Hightower was pressed on this. He got, he got about probably five or six questions on the topic was trying to steer around them as best he could. He would not say, uh, would not publicly express what we all know is league wide criticism of from coaches of, of what this rule does to the actual football playing part of the game. But here's some of what Richard Hightower had to say about this whole, uh, as you called it, the kickoff conundrum. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a Dr. Biggs, you know, I don't, I, I've seen the data, you know, just like we've all seen it, but hopefully, it, hopefully it does. I think the league's trying to do the right thing. We're all trying to do the right thing. We all care about our players. So uh, I don't know what it's, it's, it's a trial run and then they'll vote on it again and then we'll see. But ultimately guys, it's in the returner's hands. So I 
respect is restraint because it's got to be maddening for football coaches to see what's going on here. This is a, a feeble attempt by the league to provide a bit of window dressing to the idea that they are doing what's in the best interest of the players. I don't know that this is going to move the needle. I don't know how big of an impact this is going to have. I think if you want to, you know, focus on helping the health and welfare of, of current and, and former players, that's laudable. But I don't know how this makes the game better. It certainly doesn't make the game more exciting. It, it essentially eliminates or reduces the most exciting play in football, as the kickoff is often referred to. And I just don't know that it um, – it's something that is a step in the right direction. And the numbers speak for themselves. I suppose you can find, you know, numbers to support the idea of reduced concussions. But there, there's a lot of things that go into that. And I just don't know that this is a, a rule that I embrace or like at all. Richard Hightower was asked if uh, he could ever imagine the game without kickoffs. And he said, well, think about baseball. Think about basketball. Think about football. You say, what time is first pitch? What time is tip-off? And in football, you say, what time is kickoff? So if you took the kickoff out of the game, we'd have to say, what time is the first snap? And it would get really confusing for everybody. That's neither here nor there. But obviously, it's something that that I think the league is going to be interested to, to at least monitor for a year. We'll see how it kind of operates in the preseason. We'll see. Again, I, there, there's some chess that needs to be played with this now. And, and that's one of the reasons we were kind of grilling Richard Hightower on this is what are you going to do? You're going to have to set up guidelines for your upbacks, for your return men. You know, what, what are the rules for signaling for that fair catch? What do you want to do as a kickoff team? Do you want to squib stuff to, to an area where you can go get a play inside the 25, you know, and, and how many different things does this introduce strategically? That's something that's a wait and see proposition, but I'm certainly fascinated by, by some of that maneuvering that's going to go on uh, as soon as we start getting into game action. It eliminates players too, from, from being able to take advantage of their most unique skill set. In, in the case of, you know, guys who are making, the team because of their return capabilities, guys who make the team because of their coverage capabilities. This makes it easier to cut somebody like that. If you're looking at a numbers game, if you're looking for reasons to get rid of your sixth linebacker or whatever the case may be, because you're keeping him based on his ability to cover kicks. And when in fact, that may not be a case, you may not have many kicks that you need to cover because everything's getting fair caught. So I, I don't know. I would, I think that they should try to, go back to the drawing board and use different ideas to maybe in preseason to test them. I would like to see them try the XFL rule. I was going to ask you about that because I only saw it a couple times in action and it's very uh, disorienting, but your thoughts on that? This is it. The kicker lines up at at his 30-yard line with the other 10 members of the kickoff team lining up at the opponent's 35. So picture (laughs) that if you can. Five yards away from the returning team. Only the kicker and one returner can move until the ball is fielded. Once the ball is fielded, then everybody goes into action. Touchbacks are spotted at the 35-yard line, so it encourages the kind of action, and it doesn't give you the long run-up because you're at the opponent's 35-yard line. And so I think when you talk about that, it is more like a defensive play. It's more like an open field tackle. Still, you have to be – somebody that is, you know, pursues the ball with reckless abandon, but it also encourages the fundamental art of tackling, which is lost in the NFL. I liked what I saw in a small sample size at the XFL level. I just don't think the NFL would ever say, oh, yeah, 
The XFL has a better idea. Let's steal that. <laughs> well, I mean, let's see what the data is, you know, and, and if somebody can provide evidence that, okay, this is a much safer version of a more exciting play, then maybe we do look at that. Um, you're right. They are very resistant to making changes, particularly as, as one coming from a league like the XFL. Um, but it is, uh, it's, it's interesting to consider who knows, like what is Devin Hester's career as a Chicago bear? If he enters the league in 2023, as opposed to, to 2006, he's not going in the hall of fame eventually because of his ability to fair catch. He never would even be considered if, if, I mean, you know, is he, he on the roster the for three years, you know, right. it, 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 like who knows? Because that was, that was the gift, you know, and, and, and obviously he converted positions and went from a defensive back yeah. to a receiver, but yeah, it's uh it's all, it's all food for thought. Speaking of special teams, before we get out of here, what was the deal with Cairo Santos and the conversation surrounding um, his status and being challenged? Fill me in the blanks because you know how much I love a good kicker controversy. Yeah, there's no controversy here. Here's the here's the deal. The Bears currently have two specialists on the roster. Uh, Andre Schmidt is an undrafted rookie out of Syracuse that they signed immediately after the draft. And they've got Ryan Anderson, who came into the league and has spent a couple uh, stints with, in, not never in the regular season, but has had a cup of coffee with the Patriots and the Giants, I believe. And he's he's now uh, in the punting, quote-unquote, competition. There's every, 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 every seed of thought inside the building at Hallis Hall that your opening day kicker will be Cairo Santos and your opening day punter will be Trent Gill. They've got some camp legs to take some wear and tear off these guys. They've got a, you know, a little bit of healthy competition, if you want to call it that. Um, but I think sort of the, the conversation was, well, why do you need these guys here? Uh, and is it notable given that as we talked about last year, Cairo Santos missed five extra points, uh, including a several and a flurry there during the, the year where you go, whoa, is he not reliable anymore? And, and Richard Hightower's point was we finished the uh, season top five in the league in field goal percentage. And so if you want to call that a struggle, then go ahead and call that a struggle. But we feel good about Cairo. And the counterpoint is, well, what, and we're not just talking about field goals. He also missed those five extra points. And the pushback was, well, by the end of the year, he made some technical adjustments. He got it corrected and we think will be fine. So it is one of those June conversations that is just kind of for the sake of June conversation. Hey, what are these two guys doing here? I think we've got our answer for now. Um, we'll obviously keep an eye on it, but I don't see any uh, 2019 version of, of Eddie versus Elliot and all of the things that went on during a wild, wild four-month span that uh, ultimately led with Eddie Pinero, or ultimately finished with Eddie Pinero uh, kicking that game winner in Denver. Wasn't that the Augusta? Uh, Augusta silence. Augusta we had silence. Casey yeah. Bednarski making a kick to end oh practice my. and doing a backflip. And Matt Nagy wasn't happy with that, which always bothered me because it was like, if you're going to tell everybody to be you and that guy wants to do a backflip, he's just being him. You can't be mad at him for being a kicker, doing a backflip. There were all sorts of stuff that went into that circus in 2019. It was quite a time to be alive. I will never forget a, it may have even been Mother's Day, but it was a rookie mini camp Sunday where we were on the field away from all the football players watching nine kickers who ultimately didn't go to training camp uh, attempt kicks from all different distances and losing balls in the in the forest and everything else. That I with. think that would be a good project for you to come up with the most, the, the five most manufactured contrived <laughs> OTA controversies. Oh yeah. We could go back. We could go back over there, my time and, and dig definitely. a few up. They're always there. I mean, we were talking about it, David, yesterday, just about how, I mean, this is NFL manufactured. We have turned this into a year round headline creating machine. It is what it is. And so people expect something to happen on days where nothing is happening. 
And then it, it somehow gets you, you try to put the right frame around it. You try to explain wow. to people, here's what it is. And still you log on to your internet the next day and you see things cherry picked and headline and you go, how did that become the Listen, story out of camp need- A, B or C? <sighs> I needed to know that Khalil Herbert is trying boxing as a means of improving his pass protection skills. I don't know about you, but I appreciated that nugget of information. Always good nuggets. And you've got an opportunity here, you know, over the next few weeks to get a little bit more of those. I'll just give you one tease. Again, I, t- I told you I spoke with Travis Gibson one-on-one um, for a piece I'm just doing on him. And, and what's at stake for him going into his contract year? We talk all about Mooney and Komet and Jalen Johnson. Well, he's part of that same draft class going into a contract year, coming off a very disappointing season in which he went 105 days between his second sack and his third sack. And he feels every bit of that frustration. He feels like he's gotten stronger. Feels like he's got a better change of direction. And, he, and they're going to be playing him, David, both on the left side and the right side, trying to find a niche for him to be a pass rusher. But it's really cool to hear some of the introspective thoughts he had going into a pivotal year. And again, one of those guys that is, you know, a previous regime brought him in, but there's a lot to be gained by the current regime if he materializes into the player that he can be. And so that's that's another guy that'll be worth keeping an eye on as we get into camp. Speaking of Travis Gibson, before we leave, any other updates any other guys on the street any other pass rushers of note that the bears or bears fans should be paying attention to well it sure seems like yannick negrakwe's name is coming up uh in 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 certain forums more often and and look like you're at the stage now where i I don't know what the resistance would be in some of these cases to just grabbing a guy you can get a guy for a one-year deal and not screw up your long-term build you just need somebody more proven at rushing the passer and obviously you want to give some of your younger guys a chance to emerge and develop but eventually you've got to give your your football team a chance to be as competitive as possible so that's a guy that i would um at least keep on the radar for now and 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 pat eberflus when asked about hey are are you guys still keeping an eye on free agents was like right to the point we're interested in a lot of free agents you know and in a very vanilla matt eberflus way he was very clear in saying you know, we're keeping our eyes on a lot of things. And, and obviously those discussions are ongoing inside Hell's Hall. And I, I think you and I are sitting here every week going, when is it going to pop? When are we going to pop? get the news that somebody has been added to this team? Well, Dan, there will be a superstar at Soldier Field over the weekend because Taylor Swift's Swifty. coming to town. Yeah, you're the, going? Yeah, I, I do not have tickets. I have seen her there, but I would prefer to pay my mortgage this month <laughs> rather than buy Taylor Swift tickets to sit in the 400 level. Well, we can go see her when she opens up the uh, the new barn in Arlington Heights. How do you feel about that? Oh, well, I think she'll still be probably very relevant <laughs> in 2027. I think I'll probably still like her music. Uh, yes, I'm not afraid to admit it. Taylor Swift is a great songwriter, and um, and that's uh, that is just fact. So you don't have to like her, but I do respect everything about Tay Tay. I saw Soldier Field sent out like a note that people are already started gathering way too early for this concert. Is it con- the concert's not till Saturday? Is that right? I think it's Saturday and Sunday. She's playing two shows. I was already you know, the lawns outside Soldier Field are already filling up with people, and they're like, "Hold on, it's too early for this." I pass Soldier Field every morning right around 4:45 a.m. And if they are there tomorrow, I'm likely to stop by and to honk my horn and say, "Okay, I know this all too well." Studs tells us that they were out there early to get the merchandise. Oh, okay. So, okay. Yeah. So maybe, well, maybe you, you might want to hurry uh, tomorrow <laughs> and make sure that there's some left on your way. Well, that's something to look forward to. All right, Dan, anything else we left out uh, big weekend ahead? Uh, I think next week we'll re- reconvene and see where things stand with everything. But um, I think we covered it all. 
Yeah, no doubt. And another week of OTAs and then the mandatory minicamp. And then we can uh, actually press pause on the NFL for like three weeks. We're going to get a three-week pause in the NFL, David. You can create all your own headlines if you want, uh, but I won't be reading them. How about the uh, Illinois basketball program getting a couple guys coming back out of the draft, Terrence Shannon Jr. being among the the, the headliner, Coleman Hawkins too as well. That's, uh, that's, a, big, that's a big news uh, story for, for Illini Nation. They frustrated me so much last season that I can't even get behind it right now. You're going to have to wait to ask me that question until November because you can't get like, behind it. I well, mean, I just I like I like you it, get your you get your hopes up all the time with this program, and the best season they had, in my opinion, was <laughs> I think they could have made a deep run in, in March 2020, and then the world shut down right when they were getting hot. I think their last game they they hammered Iowa at, at, at Assembly Hall. Um, really good year the next year, and then got that bad draw with. Uh, with Loyola, right, in Io's last game. And, and and it's just been – it's been a lot of – I mean, when's the last time they saw the second weekend of the tournament? Okay, I'm sorry I opened that door because – Yeah, I why did you, you do this? It's a whole separate episode. The, the torture. <laughs> All right, well, we'll wrap it up. We'll have more Bears talk next week when we drop the Take the North podcast. You can get the Take the North podcast on your free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. Download, listen, and subscribe. Give us some feedback. Let us know what you think. For Adam Sadzinski, our producer, Dan Weedwer, covering the Bears for the Chicago Tribune. And I am David Haw from the Mullen Haw Show at 674. We will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. I and I. <laughs>